Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 119 and we're interviewing Donald M. How are you doing today, Donald? All right, and you? I'm doing all right, doing all right. So let's dive in here and get started. Tell me how it was for you growing up. What was your childhood like? <clears throat> well, um, when I was born, uh, my mother and my, my dad were married and uh, it was three of us, all boys. Um, at about five or six, they ended up splitting up and getting divorced. Um, basically, I vaguely remember when they were together, when all of us were together. Um, but all of my memories come from after that, for the most part. Uh, then yeah, you don't my, remember what you felt like when they got divorced and stuff? Honestly, um, I really didn't have many much emotion, emotional attachment to my father. I didn't, just to put it uh, bluntly, I, I didn't like him much. So it wasn't a big deal for me. Uh, I can remember way back, I do kind of have some memories when they used to argue a lot. And then he and uh, a cousin of mine used to always uh, be in our basement and they'd be drinking and smoking and doing whatever. I can vaguely remember you know, some of those things, but uh but then after that, at about five or six, for the most part, though, I lived with my grandmother anyway, during those first few years. And then a, a lot of years after that, on off and on. So basically, where, I'm, I'm more of a grandmother's child. Where was your mom that your grandma? Why was your grandma raising you? Uh, well, I was the firstborn and the first grandchild. So I was pretty much doted upon. So I was kind of wanted and, you know, I was spoiled because of that. And uh so I guess it was it was also some kind of weird tradition where my grandmother's firstborn grandkids would come and stay with her for a while to start and then go from there. But um, so after my uh, my mother and father split up, I pretty much spent a lot of time back and forth with my grandmother, who was my father's mother and and my mother, and she ended up having two more boys. Uh, at about, I was at, a, I was about 10 or 11, 10 and 11 I was. And pretty much when I was with my mother, I had to learn how to do some grown up things like uh, feed a baby and uh, uh, just cook and clean and be responsible because I was the oldest child. So I had to learn a lot of, a lot of that. I was a latchkey kid, which is, you know, I had my own keys and was able to come and go as I please. So. That was back in the day when it was safer for that type of thing. Type of thing. So yeah, I had to. Uh, after my last two brothers came, uh, I had to pretty much <clears throat> learn how to do a lot of grown-up things, run errands for my mother, because she was a single mother at that time and a, a working single mother. So with five boys, mind you. So I had to. I was kind of forced to kind of step it up. How was life at school? Uh, for the most part, I hated school. Um, <clears throat> I was, I was a big, uh, an, an underachiever, actually. Uh, I just felt like, um, all of that stuff that happened before that made me feel like I was too mature for school for the kids that were, that were my age. So I didn't really like school and it, it you know, I, I was an over, underachiever, but I was smart. I just didn't have the passion that much for school. I was more more so focused on after school. 
Um, yeah, so uh, I pretty much sli- um, slided through school without trying very hard. And that was all of your school career. Uh, that was all of your schools, like middle school, high school, all that stuff kind of just half-assed your yeah, way through it? Pretty much, especially high school. I was very, I became very disinterested in at least making friends with those kids because at that time I started hanging out with my uncles and aunts who were older. Uh, so, yeah, I just, you know, did what I had to do to make it through through school. And, you know, that was that with that. So starting with you were young, how was your social life as far as friends and hanging out and stuff like that? So I had a few friends. I I was not that social um, butterfly type person. I was kind of um, I was kind of bullied coming up because uh, I wasn't the toughest kid in the in the neighborhood or, or the hood or whatever. So I was kind of bullied, uh, which had created uh, you know some trust issues. So I didn't really have a lot of friends. I Hung out a little bit. I played sports growing up a lot, every major sport, uh, baseball, football, baseball and softball in the summertime, football in the wintertime every Sunday, and then some. Uh, so I grew up doing a lot of that. You know, I had a, a normal, abnormal childhood at the same <laughs> time. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. I've never heard that before. It's kind of how I feel. Um, yeah. You mentioned the word hood. So did you grow up in a rough neighborhood? On the west, I was born on the south side of Chicago, and then I was raised on the west side of Chicago. So, yeah, in the uh, Londale neighborhood, which was very rough, you know, uh, back then. Um, and then we moved to a, another part of the hood, which was the uh, Humboldt Park, which is the west side of Chicago, also. And uh, after my brother got killed at uh, 18 then finally my mother um you know moved the family to the west suburbs and uh that's where we all have been residing since then outside of the city city life what kind of stuff do you remember living in the hood like what kind of stuff were you witnessing and things like that well it was all about the getting high uh the hanging out um you're talking about for you just the hood overall. Oh, the hood overall. Okay. At least the environment I was in. So, uh, like I said, I hung out at my grandmother's house, which gave me much more freedom, and which I also was able to see my aunts and uncles and their rows of friends uh, coming in and out of my grandmother's house, and they'd be smoking weed. And at the time, I didn't know what else they were doing, but. Uh, you know, they'd be smoking and drinking and hanging out all day. And I found that at that time, I, part of, a big part of me found that exciting. You know, although that's not how I, I got started getting high. Um, but, you know, people hanging out in the streets and, you know, on the corners. But a lot of times back then, though, a lot of it, we played a lot of sports. There were sports, you know, we were right across the street from a big park. Uh, blocks of a park and we put, like I said we, it was a lot of sports going on also so it was kind of a balance you know with the hood like life and then we were able to do productive things like you know enjoy being out in the parks and just hanging out safely safer <clears throat> sorry safer at that time 
So um, how was it growing up with, what do you have, four brothers, you said? Yeah, four younger brothers. Uh, <clears throat> so my brother next to me, we had like a, it's a very bitter sibling rivalry because me being the oldest, again, I was, you know, spoiled and doted upon. My uncles and aunts loved me and my grandmother loved me and my mother and, uh, you know, they I'm sure they weren't trying to slight him. And then when, you know, when I got a you know a little hold of that, I made it even worse by like pushing it in his face and, you know, letting him know that I was the one, you know, and you're just the brother. And, uh, you know, we went through a very, very bitter sibling rivalry until the day I, uh, I heard that he was shot in the head. And uh, it was due to, it was partly due to his addictive, you know, his addiction. He was an addict also. And, um, when he was shot in the head, that changed everything. Um, and I realized I really didn't hate him uh, like I thought I did. And uh, and then I found out he just wanted to do what I was doing and walk in my footsteps. And uh, he just wanted me to be a brother. And I wasn't. Say again? And I wasn't interested at that time. Sounds like it's something you regret. Kind of, but, you know, I've grown out of it. or not grown out of it, but I accept that it, it has happened. Um, yeah, there's, I can't change that now. Of course, if I knew now what I knew, if I knew back then what I know now, I probably uh, would have acted differently because there were like, you know, I had a couple of friends that just told me that, uh, you know, he just looked up to me. It just didn't feel like it. I didn't know or couldn't tell and probably didn't care. I just didn't want him to get the attention that I was getting because I felt like if they were loving him the same way, then they couldn't love me. So it's a weird dynamic. Complicated. That sounds like the right word, complicated. Yes, it was. Yeah. So at what age were you first exposed to drugs where you were actually you know, trying it and things like that. Because I know you said from a young age, your, your uncles and people like that would be smoking in front of you, right? Mm. So what was yeah. the first age? What was the first age you remember seeing drugs or alcohol or something like that? So it's weird. So the misconception is, you know, my aunts and uncles who I was hanging out with got me started getting high. But it, it, that that's not the truth. The truth is, so I was in junior high, seventh and eighth grade. And these guys little young probably gangbangers at the time I don't know today because I wasn't you know uh that up on it but they used to always lose their joints in class and at school I mean it was like a regular thing so I would always find one and then at lunchtime I would go home and you know sneak inside my our, my, our closet and smoke smoke the joint and then when it's time to go back to school I'll go back to school high and uh, yeah, that's what that's where it started, right there. And uh, you know, I finally let my my uncles and aunts know first. Uh, and they just basically told me, "Look, just stay in school, just smoke after school, do what you have to do after school, uh, uh, do what you want to do after school, just stay in school." But uh, yeah, that's where I got started. Ironically, weirdly, just by finding weed. So the first time you got high, you were by yourself. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, and I was off and running after that. With the weed. What do you mean by off? What do you mean by off and running? What kind of stuff did we get into? Smoking every day, smoking weed every day, and then um, so at that time, after I started smoking weed, um, you know, I, I started learning about the other things that my older uncles and aunts were doing. One of them, and the people in the neighborhood, and the other one was smoking PCP. It was popular, you know, for a while. Well. It's starting to be popular again, actually. But it was popular back then, so I started doing that for a while, off and on. You know, that's not something you could do every day, although some try it and it doesn't turn out good. But uh, sporadically, I moved to that. And then, at what that, age? Did you, what age did you move to the PCP? So, so about fourteen, fifteen, I started doing a little that, along with drinking. So I, I was smoking weed at thirteen. Then eventually I started smoking a little PCP and then I started drinking at about 15, 14, 15, 16. What does PCP feel like? What kind of high is it? It's like like almost an out-of-body high, out-of-body high. Um, you feel like you're walking next to you, basically. It gives hallucinations. Um, it's just a like a floating high or something like that. You're just outside of yourself, basically, you know. Um, and it's a speed, so, uh, yeah, yeah, speed, psychedelic mixture type. Yeah, so um, at what age, well, let me ask you this. Did you finish school and everything? I'm sorry? Did you finish school? Yeah, I actually ended up having to do five years of high school because uh, in my senior year, I could have went to summer school to graduate, but at the, I was working two jobs. You know, I, I always worked since I, whenever, whenever, whenever I was able to, I was working summer jobs every summer since I was uh, 14, I think, because we used to have a summer job program. So I always worked. So that summer when I could have graduated at 18, I was, like I said, I had a summer job and a regular job, and I I chose the money over the graduating on time. So, and mind you, at the time, the money was for me to have more money to get high, also, which it, uh, it's, you know, I started doing more and more, and a gamut of drugs, different drugs. So yes, I did make it through high school. What did you do once you graduated? So, so let me go back. So at about 16, I start. okay, I basically went, I moved out uh, after my brother got killed. Um, I came back home. Was that at 16? No, I'm sorry. When I, when I finished school, I moved out. And then after he got killed, I moved back home for a while. How did, so you said your brother, it was because of his addiction, he got killed. Right. So, all right. So back to when I was 16, I learned about, uh, well, my uncles again and aunts, they were doing something called cough syrup, which was uh, a, codeine, a codeine mixture and mixed with a sleeping pill that gave you a heroin type of euphoria, a heroin type of feeling. Uh, so I was doing that for a few years. 
And then when that played out, uh, um, my brother actually was the one that turned me on to heroin, which I knew nothing about at the time. He had already started heroin. And uh, so I, I started doing that. And that turned out to be my ultimate drug of choice. And it was his. And he ended up not surviving his because he was out hustling to try to get money to get high when he was when he was murdered. Does that kind of correlate and make sense? Yeah, yeah. Do you know, um, not to get too much into it, but do you know what actually happened that he got killed? It was, was uh, it, what kind the, of beef was it? The details were kind of sketchy. Uh, he was apparently uh, in the neighborhood of certain drug dealers that he was hustling in there around their territory or whatever. And they ended up uh, allegedly just ended up killing him uh, for doing things on their territory. Crazy shit. Part of the lifestyle and environment. How did it make you feel? Oh, I was messed up. This is the, this is the kid that I thought that I hated all his life, you know, and for it to end like that before any kind of resolution, it messed me up at that time. And it definitely exasperated my addiction issues. So you found yourself using more after he passed away? Absolutely. Absolutely. And all in all, you know, I kind of, at that time, especially, I felt responsible for for him starting getting high because he again he he wanted to follow up behind me and do what I was doing so that he could get the attention that I was getting uh so he started smoking weed after I did and then started doing all the things that I was doing afterwards so I felt somewhat responsible at that time uh you know I, it's alleviated you know today in my life but uh yeah I felt somewhat responsible because he just was always trying to get what I had and do what I did and, you know, all of that to try to gain acceptance and my attention, basically. Yeah. So once you graduated high school, you you were still working two jobs. How was it? Were, how long were you able to manage that? Did your drugs ever get in the way of you working? So, no, I had a summer job and a regular job. So the summer summer job ended, and then I went back to high school for the fifth year. And then after I graduated, after the fifth year, I moved out. I moved out. Where'd you move? To the north side of Chicago, which back then was the thing that everybody did to get out of the hood. The north side was, you know, mo- moving on up to the east side, like the Jeffersons, you know. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day, that's, you know, that was that. What how that was, so uh, I moved to the north side, and then uh, again to not to keep backing up, but then when my brother got killed, I moved back home for a while to my mother's house, and then eventually she moved my younger brothers to the west suburbs, which pro- which no doubt was the best thing for them, for the whole family. So how did your drugs progress? So you were using heroin pretty young. At what point did you kind of start going down? Okay, so uh, I met a I met a friend um, who actually uh, was a cocaine addict, uh, 
crack. Well, it wasn't crack back then. Mm-hmm. It was uh, freebasin cocaine. You cook the cocaine up and put it in the pipe. So I learned that. Uh, I was hanging out with him and started doing that with him. This was right after, well, during the time, actually, after my brother was killed. And uh, I started doing that for about a year, year and a half or so. Uh, but um, I never was happy with that. So I ended up reverting back to my heroin use. And uh, eventually I could not stop doing it on a daily basis or trying to get it every day. And real quick, how were you using it? What did you snort it, smoke it? What did you do? Heroin? Yeah. What did you, how did you, did, how did you use it? So I started snorting it. Okay. And then eventually I moved on to shooting. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, do, you know, doing all this time, I never, you know, I've always wanted something different and more. Uh, so one of my other vices became traveling. Uh, I started, tra- I met, so about eight months after my brother was killed, I met what who turned out to be my best friend for double digit years, about 20 or so years. It turned out he was born the exact day and the exact year of my brother that my brother was born. And we became best friends for years. And then he be- we became traveling buddies. And basically we started traveling all around the country a lot of it with him and a lot of it by myself also. So I also have a, a, a uh, I guess, a traveling addiction, if you want to say it. How are you able to afford that? So I always worked for the most part. Uh, I have done some uh, not so legal things to get money also to, to go along with it. And because at the same time, you know, I was still doing my drugs and you know, when I couldn't get to the drugs, I was drinking uh, a lot. Most of the time when I couldn't get to the drugs, I was probably either, well, I was living out of town probably. Cause, so this best friend, he taught, he showed me, well, he put me up on uh, the national parks. And, and back in the 90s, we went to, uh, well, we applied at this job in, in Maine, Acadia National Park. And uh, we went up there and worked for the summer. And at that time, you know, I was I was really trying to run away, basically, for one thing. You know, I got up there and was, I was still drinking and smoking weed a lot. I wasn't doing heroin or anything, but uh turned out to be actually the best time of my life. And it changed my life because it opened me up to uh, different types of people, different race of people, obviously up in Maine. and. Uh, it, it that that was a turning point in my life but then i ended up coming back to chicago after that the con the six-month contract was over and i resumed my uh my uh getting high and doing heroin it's amazing how sometimes we just go right back into the same bad habits no matter what yeah, because, you know, you don't put forth any kind of change. So I was still the same person. When I got back, I didn't I didn't heal at all. I just went up there and, like I said, I was still drinking and everything and came back to Chicago and everything was right back where I started, basically. So I you, said, you, you said you didn't heal at all. What kind of stuff were you healing from? I mean, healing from all the, doing the drugs for so many years. I didn't, you know, I didn't get any kind of help with my addiction issues and no I didn't heal from you know like 
the things that happened happened to me coming up and seeing my you know my brother be not seeing him but having my brother being murdered and just things like that you know childhood traumas and all of that you know which what which is what it takes to uh you know get in recovery got to deal with some of those traumatic experiences so what age did you say to yourself you know i can no longer handle this i'm out of control like what what age did you see tell well i was so i started going in and out of treatment in and out of treatment in and out of treatment and it, it started to become a, a big cycle i would go into treatment get out and you know uh not continue any kind of work that uh you know that they suggested to get, get my life in order and i'll end up just resuming back you know uh to getting high uh, i was continuing to try to run away from it so i was you know i started going to other national parks to work like i worked uh went to death valley national park in california worked out there for six months uh again drinking and smoking and actually i got turned on to to uh crystal meth out there for a hot oh, just about two or three times i did it and then when that was over i would come back home and start the same cycle over start you know maybe get a job and then um uh, start back getting high and um in and out of treatment and it's, I was basically in the same cycle for years, for a couple of decades, actually. And I didn't get clean to how am I, about 47, I think. And I ended up finally, you know, going to treatment and it ended up taking. I think for me, it was just the, the running in place, not getting, um, finally accepting the fact that, you know, I'm not getting anywhere and it starts it starts becoming a heavy burden, a heavy feeling of just running in place. So eventually I guess it locked in and uh I finally started to make it work. And you said what age was this again? You said forty seven? Yeah. So at what age was the first time you, how long was it going on? You said you were in and out, in and out, in and out. How long exactly was that going on? And what do you think was the reasons that you were going just in and out so quickly? Well, uh, to take a break from, uh, you know, being out in the streets, um, having my disease pretty much, well, not my, yeah, tricked me into thinking, well, not my disease, I'm sorry thinking that uh, I was ready, basically I wanting to be ready, but my disease telling me that, you know, you can go back out there. Um, yeah, basically it's hard, it's difficult to explain, like not being able to get it the first few times because of the power of the, and the control of being an addict. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's Isn't that the question, I mean. Yeah, yeah, it answers the question because drugs are a powerful thing. So that's what really kept you in and out was just. Right. Sometimes, you know, I would, it, it wasn't that I didn't want it. I did want it, but uh, I just wasn't able to put in the work to do it. You know, it, the, the, the seed just wasn't sprouting, you know, and I 
I guess part of that also was feeling invincible that I could continue to do so. And because I had some semblance of uh, of a regular life, like I said, I've done, you know, I, I was traveling, I was working off and on, but, albeit um, a lot of times I was uh, independent for the most part, you know, I had my own place or with roommates or whatever. Um, so I had some semblance of a regular life, but, uh, you know, inside I was still dark you know, and that wasn't getting fixed. Yeah, I guess a lot of us have that darkness inside, kind of like an emptiness, I guess. That's exactly. way to explain it. Exactly. So how's life been since you got sober? So, uh, like I said, the last time <clears throat> I actually didn't get sober here. So I was in a treatment center here that suggested a place. No, I had a friend that went to a place in Georgia through a recover uh, through a treatment center here and <clears throat> I ended up applying for that and they flew me down there for treatment um so um finally it's things started clicking I met a, a guy there who, who's there with me and we started talking about uh basically he inspired me to this time make it work and uh, he taught me a lot of younger guy and uh, he taught me a lot um, as far as, you know, about the spirit, about feeding my spirit to make sure my spirit is well, <clears throat> to start to feed my brain with the knowledge of, you know, this, this disease and just knowledge in life to get better. And, uh, and finally, it all just clicked. And, um, you know, we also talked about becoming counselors. Um, so after treatment, I ended up uh, doing my after do it while going to a halfway house in Abilene, Texas, and down there um, is where I started my journey on uh, becoming a counselor. I started working at a treatment center down there as a tech, and it was the most fulfilling, uh, the most fulfilling job actually that I've ever had, and and it kicked off my my life of being a productive member of society right there because I started I was able to start helping people when you know tell them my story and give them my wisdom share my wisdom with them and my knowledge and um yeah that's where I got started and started getting well getting better down in uh starting in Georgia and then on to Abilene Texas So how's life treating you? Are you, I mean, what are you doing now with your life? Do you, do you work? Yeah, so after that, I came back home after about a year and a half being gone. Um, again, starting working at treatment center, then start gearing towards my uh, certification as an alcohol, alcohol and addiction, uh, alcohol and drug counselor. Uh, uh, finally, uh, again, I start becoming productive uh, learning how, learning that, you know, life is all about what I put into it and what I give back to life, knowing that that's what I'm going to get back. Um, focusing on helping others first before, um, not before me, but just being able to, you know, help others in, on, in whatever aspect of life that I can, 
Um, so are you still working at a treatment center? Yes, I'm actually now a counselor at a treatment center here in uh, West Suburban Chicago. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, you know, basically come from being overdosed and half dead on the bathroom floor to standing in the middle of a, a of a classroom trying to show people and tell people and tell people that it's better on this side than being out and about in the the ravages of addiction. Yeah. How long yeah. have you been doing that now? I've been in the business, so I got in. I had it, I was 11 months clean, so um, eight years almost, I believe, from being a tech, a counselor, a case manager, and a counselor again. Now, now, now I'm a certified counselor, though. How long have you been doing that? The certified counselor part. When did you get certified? I certified a year, a uh, year and a half ago. Finally, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, wasn't easy. The test, the test is not easy, but you know, my life is much better now, and I'm higher than any drug has ever made me today. That's good. Yeah. So one of the last questions that I usually have for everybody. Well, first off, let me ask you this. Two, okay. two last questions. Do you have anything you want to throw in? Um, not really. Anything you know, I missed? No, not at all. You know, I just, uh, like I said, I'm just focused on what I can contribute to the world in the second half of my life now. It's, you know, I'm not making it all about me. My life is not all about me anymore because I did that and it wasn't as fulfilling and or rewarding. So right now, the second half of my life is what am I going to, what is going to be my legacy and what I'm going to leave the world, you know, and who can I touch along the way to, uh, you know, the end of my life. That's where I'm at right now. That's great. I'm happy for you. Thank you. So now my last question is, do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Yes. Um, well, advice, you know, just put in, just got to put in the work. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, you know, you just, it's an investment, you know, you're going to get back what you invest into the world. You know, you're going to get the same thing back. If you, if you're going to put in the work, the reward is going to, you know, it's going to come back, you know, there, and when it comes to drinking and drugging, the consequences will always outweigh the reward in life. Um, you know, and sometimes we just got and we just got to step outside of ourselves to, you know, assure that we are just helping others. You know, that's what my life is based on. Most of my life, um, you know, I've done my life my way. I still plan on doing my life my way and not the way that society uh, expects me to live my life as far as personally, you know, um, because there are actually people out there that feels like, uh, you know, that will feel like you're trying to do too much or you think you're better and that kind of stuff. But no, I'm just trying to be better than I once was. That's all. It's okay to try to be better. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. Obviously, to try and be better is always a good thing. Absolutely. That's how you make progress. Exactly. And, you know, maybe others don't think so, but I I love the man that I'm becoming. You know, I still have a lot of work to do. I'm not, not, you know, it's not perfect on this side, you know, but the setbacks hit, hit differently when you're more spiritually sound, which is basically what recovery is all about becoming spiritually balanced and and sound emotionally and mentally. How did you do that? How did you become balanced? Mostly it comes um, from being selflessness, selflessness, from selflessness, um, giving back, um, just not allowing things to get me too far down, you know. Um, I make meetings still. I'm still connected. You know, I stay connected to 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 recovery community, to the recovery community, you know. Um, yeah, and basically helping others, you know, helping others. Not just in recovery, but overall, you know. See somebody struggling somewhere, lend a hand or an ear or a shoulder. You know, that's, my, that's who I'm trying to be. That's who I strive to be, you know, a selfless individual, you know, that's trying to just live life the right way and hopefully others can see that and possibly get something out of that. Yeah, especially in your profession, being around addicts all day, you can kind of be a source of inspiration for them. Absolutely, absolutely. And just, you know, showing them that somebody generally cares because it's not just a job for me because I can definitely go somewhere else or do something else and make more money, but uh, I won't make the difference that I make. And I hope that I I make in other people's lives, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, what is it? Reach one, teach one, or teach one, reach one, however it goes. I'm not too good with the cliches. Never, I never heard that one before. Yeah, reach one, teach one, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And hopefully that person will pass it on and that person will pass it on and so on and so on and so on. You know, I'm not out to try to save the world. Just one person at a time. And hopefully that person, like I said, can pass it on to the next. And yeah, like your ripple effect. Huh? I said like the ripple effect. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it goes both ways. You know, there's some people that's still out there that's sending people the other way. So we, we have to watch that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. So I think that's all we got for now. I know I said last question a few minutes ago, and we kind of got to a little bit more. But um, yeah, that's uh, all we got for today. So for everybody watching and listening if you like what you saw and heard go below and give us a like also subscribe you will see when we upload new videos you can check us out on twitter reddit instagram facebook tiktok um we're all over the place as far as social media goes also check out our website www.addicts-anonymous.com there you can click on the resources tab and you'll see a bunch of stuff available and also the approved literature you'll see that we have a ton of free literature available as well. So that's all I got for today. Until next time. Thank you.